Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, uh, turn with me to the book of Acts. Let's go to chapter 5. We want to look at verses 1 uh, through 11. Lying to the Holy Spirit. Now, once you get to Acts chapter 5, leave a marker there. And I want you to go ahead forward uh, to the book of James and just hang there in chapter 1. And we'll get there in a few minutes. We come to the book of Acts in chapter 5. Hypocrisy has found its way into the church. A married couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira, these two lied to the Holy Spirit. Interesting that in verse 4, Peter says, You have not lied to men, but to God. Giving us a glimpse of, of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so we see the Trinity, we see the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. Uh, the beauty of the early church is that the Holy Spirit now has fallen upon man. We've already looked at uh, the first four chapters. Salvation has come. Healings have come. Changed lives are taking place. We estimated last week that over 5,000 have been added to the church. The church is on the move. But two things are already happening. Religion gets his foot in the door. You have to understand that religion is man-made. Religion is man trying to reach God. And a relationship is God reaching down to man. And so religion uh, has gotten its foot in the door. Secondly, hypocrisy also creeps into the church. Now I need to just give you a little bit of background. And this is going to lead right into James chapter 1. When we speak about religion, because people often say, I heard you have religion. I heard you've gotten re very religious recently. And people just mean well, but they don't understand. And so I want to take you way back. Listen to this. Noah Webster, 1828, uh, in, his, uh, in his, uh, dictionary, excuse me. He says the word religion comes from the Latin word uh, religio or relego. Uh, to bind it means. This word seems originally to have a signified an oath or a vow to the God, small g. Or to the obligation of such an oath or vow which was held very sacred by the Romans. He goes on and he gives us another version. Religion. then and now, as distinct from theology, is godliness or real piety in practice, consisting in the performance of all known duties to God and our fellow men, in obedience to divine command or from love to God and his law. Religion, and I'm just going to say this, is very important. But we have to be very careful. Just because I'm going to church, does that make me religious? Just because I attend Bible studies, am I truly born again of the Holy Spirit? This is where a commitment is made. Now, you should have turned uh, to the book of James. In James chapter 1, verses 21 uh, through 27. And James here gives us some indication. Don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer also. James is the pastor of the Jerusalem church. 
And here in the book of Acts, we're looking at the Jerusalem church. It's getting started. James is writing to the 12 tribes uh, of Israel that have been scattered abroad at this time. James is considered one of the earliest of the epistles. And so notice as he begins here in verse 21, James chapter 1, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is also uh, able to save your souls. He says, but... Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. James' theme, if you get a chance to read the five chapters, he's speaking about practical Christian living, how you are to act, how you are to survive. And there was a lot of struggle in the early church. And so notice as he goes on here in verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. And for he observes himself, he goes away, and immediately he forgets what kind of man he is. Don't just come and hear the word. There has to be application. Back in my shepherd school years ago, it's never left me. When I get into the Word of God, there's three positions that I look for. There has to be observation of the Word. Secondly, there has to be interpretation of the Word. But thirdly, that most miss. There has to be application. What good is it that we hear the Word of God and there's no application? And so that's what James is saying. Don't just be a hearer of the Word. But be a doer also. Look at verse 25 and 26, the conclusion, or verse 27 also. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, it is, he is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in whatever he does. If you're taking notes real quick, we've studied this many times. In Deuteronomy chapter 27 and in Deuteronomy chapter 28, we go back into the Old Testament. They would come into the Shechem Valley, and they would look at these two mountain ranges. And the high priest and, and several other priests would go up into one range, and then a group of other priests would go up into the other range, and they would call out the blessings and the cursings. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, if you don't do this, if you disobey God, the curses are going to come. In verse in chapter 28, but if you do do these things, if you're a hearer and a doer of God's word, blessings are going to come. And I've seen it through the years. If we truly obey God's word, he's going to bless you. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to go through trials. You will go through trials. But the blessings of the Lord uh, override many times the trials. Uh, look at verse 26 now. If anyone among you thinks he is religious... Notice what James says, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This one's religion is useless. It's in vain. It's empty. In verse 27, pure and un undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. And here's the key of being a doer of the word. To visit the orphans and the widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. The word religion now, we looked at Webster's. The word here in the Greek is trachos, and it means ceremonious in worship. For the example 
to be pious. Now, it's kind of hard to understand that because we have this concept uh, to be religious, to be pious, is somebody that walks around with their hands up in the air, somebody that has this glow or this halo over their head, somebody that knows how to fold their hands and, and they piously look down in all humility. Uh, well, trust me, sometimes that, all of that can be painful. Let your, uh, truly, your piousness be seen in, in your humility. Not, not going around saying, well, I'm religious, or getting a shirt with a big R in the front. That's not the answer. Now, listen to the word being pious, which describes uh, the ceremonious worship. The word pious means religious. The word pious means devout. The word pious means God-fearing. The word pious means church going, gathering together in the assembly. And I like these last ones here. Pious in the Greek uh, means saintly. It means holy. It means dedicated. It means reverent. And this last word just brings it all together. It means righteous. It means righteous. Now, the best way to translate righteousness, before I came to Christ, before you came to Christ, I was unrighteous. You were unrighteous. I was wrong living for God. That's the best translation. And so I come to a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. He bestows upon me. He bestows upon you righteousness. And so now I desire to be right living for God. I want to do the right things for God. And yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, you're a sinner. Yes, we fall short. But we have an advocate. We have a lawyer for our defense. It's Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And again, I am not righteous. You are not righteous. But it's because of Christ. It's because of Christ in you and through you. The Bible says my righteousness. The Bible says your righteousness. Listen to this, is as filthy rags. But I need to be righteous in Christ Jesus. And so we spoke about religion hitting in. Now I want you to go back to Acts chapter 5. We're going to read the context right now. But I want to speak a little bit about hypocrisy. Religion has set in in the early church, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, the religious sect at the time. They were constantly attacking Jesus. And now the early church is being established. And they're going to attack that too. But after religion has already set in, then hypocrisy is also part of the church. Hypocrisy speaks of one who pretends to be what he or she is not. One who is from uh, having a form of godliness without the power of or who assumes an appearance of piety and virtue when he or she is destitute of true religion. I learned many years ago, hypocrisy, the best way to describe hypocrisy is to be an actor. Is to be an actor. When a good actor comes into the stage, when a, a good actor makes a, a great movie, uh, they've got you on the edge of the seat uh, because they are doing the work of acting. And they're making you believe what they're portraying, what they're bringing forth. And it's just incredible. Several years ago, uh, we had a gentleman that came 
and he wanted to present uh, a certain life during the time of 32 AD. And he dressed up in a robe, and he had the sandals, and he had, uh, you know, a little staff, and uh, he, he was just a, a beautiful actor. And that's what he did. And he starts up here in the top, and then he worked his way around and had people to be involved in his ministry of acting. But he took you there, and you sensed that you were in the presence of the time of 32 AD. And so that's what an actor does. But hypocrisy is another form of he or she is a double-minded person. Listen, when you speak of hypocrisy, you can be natural, and then you can be artificial. Now, we're going to go to Matthew chapter uh, 15, not now, but I want you to write that down. Jesus has to deal with the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees, the actors at the time, the religious sect at the time. And church, it's still here today. It's still here today. I've been in the ministry long enough. And I have seen everything. And honestly, I I hate to bring this to you, but I've seen pastors that are very hypocritical. They're one thing in the pulpit, but there's something else outside in the streets. And I've often shared this, I hope, what you see here on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or a Sunday night, whenever I, uh, I am teaching, that the same person you see is the same person you'll see out in the streets. If not, it's hypocrisy. And, and some of you have heard those pastors that, I, I mean, they can, they can preach and, and their voice is moving and such. And, and then sometimes they take it to the, you know, over here to the mall and they're ordering something in that same voice. And I'm going, that's not the way you talk. That's hypocrisy. You have to be careful. Now, you should be in the book of Acts, chapter 5. We're going to begin to get into our study now, verses 1 through 11. But what I wanted to do, and I do this from time to time, when it's a short study, when it's a short reading, I want to read it through, and then I'm going to go back up and begin to make some commentary. In Acts, chapter 1, look at verse 1. But a certain man, by the name of Ananias, with his wife, Sapphira, they sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back a portion of the price of the land for yourself? This is where the hypocrisy begins to set in. In verse 4, while it remained, was it not yours? And after it was sold, was it not your own to control? Why have you conceived this thing? And here's the problem in your heart. You have not lied to man, but to God. Beautiful concept. Given deity uh, to the Holy Spirit. And look at verse 5. Then Ananias, hearing of these words, fell down, breathed his last breath. And so great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose, and they wrapped him up, carried him off, and buried him. Now, it was about three hours later when his wife came in, and not knowing what had taken place or what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me, 
tell me whether you sold the land for such or for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together uh, to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. Verse 10 and 11, immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last breath. And the young men came in and they found her dead and carried her out, buried her by her husband. And so great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Imagine the offering that would be received after that. A lot of changed hearts, right? But let's pray. Father, give us insight in these 11 verses, Lord. Speak to our own hearts in the area of this type of hypocrisy. Lord, all the issues of man will come from the heart eventually. Even when we say the good thing, but we can change it as they did. Then hypocrisy has taken its course. But it's the heart that God looks at. Not the actions outside of the body. But he looks at the heart. In fact, we understand in the Old Testament, it speaks about King David, and we know he was a sinner. But the scriptures read that David was a man after God's own heart. And so, Lord, speak to us now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Acts chapter 5, look at verse 1 now. He says, but a certain man by the name of Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, they sold a possession. And let me give you just a short exhortation of love uh, to the husband and to the wife here uh, this morning at our chapel. As a Christian, as a true believer, and a follower of Jesus Christ, we are never to lie for your spouse when it comes to the things of God and it comes to the things of the Word of God. Or you could find yourself in the predicament of Mr. and Mrs. Ananias and Sapphira. After they saw the great generosity of Barnabas that we spoke of last week and how well he was respected, Ananias and Sapphira decided that they wanted some of the same respect. We read in verse 37 of last week that Barnabas, having sold, uh, sold his possessions, he brought them uh, the, the possessions, the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Remember last week we shared that there was a type of communal living. There was a type of sharing. Was it right? Was it wrong? We know that the Jerusalem church goes broke. And we know later, as Paul the Apostle comes into the picture, uh, he goes and ministers to the Gentiles. And as he's ministering to the Gentiles, he's heard of the need. He knows about the need in Jerusalem. They're a poor church now. And he makes it known to the Gentiles. And then Paul gathers up finances from the Gentile nations uh, that the religious sect and a lot of those that were there in Jerusalem wanted nothing to do with the Gentiles. But they were coming to saving grace. And they were coming with a changed life. And so Paul comes back to Jerusalem and empties the bags of gold and silver that were from the Gentiles that they did not like. But they were listening to the Word of God. They were listening to the Word of God. And so think about this communal living now. There were those that were selling properties. And there were those that were giving us so much to the church. 
And, and there was no guideline. Listen, you sold your house, you sold your property, you sold whatever it might be. If God has placed that into your heart, then you give accordingly. And so if God said, sell it and give half, then give half. But somehow, some way, Ananias and Sapphira, they lied. Because look at verse 2 now. And he kept back, and that's the key here, he kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. We read in Acts chapter uh, 4, verse 35, uh, the people, including Barnabas, laid them uh, the funds at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. But I want you to notice, uh, they sold a possession. Is it land? Was it gold and silver? We don't know. And gave only a portion to the church while implying that they had sacrificially given it all to the church. There's where the problem is. They didn't have to uh, give, period, when you think about that. It was a free will choice. It seems that they wanted recognition. Is that what they wanted? But I want you to see the words kept back. Because he, speaking of Ananias, kept back a portion of the proceeds. Uh, the, word, the words to keep back speak of misappropriation. Back in the book of Joshua, in the Old Testament, chapter 7, uh, verse 21, it tells us exactly that about Joshua. Remember the story, uh, not of Joshua, about a young man uh, or a gentleman that was part of the army. His name was Achan. They went to the battle of Ai. And when they finished the battle of Ai, uh, or the Battle of Jericho, excuse me, the Battle of Ai they lost, the Battle of Jericho, he took up the spoils. And then he went back into his tent. And here's the key, he had to have his family to get out of the tent. He dug a hole, and he put all the proceeds in there. He misappropriated the funds that belonged to the Lord. Because when they took a decisive victory, they took the spoils of the land. And then they would basically bring them back and distribute them accordingly. Uh, but Achan saw upon himself to take it and, and to misappropriate. Now, the same word is used here. He kept it back by Ananias. Now, it's interesting. This is the only place we see uh, the Greek word and the Hebrew word meaning exactly the same. When you go to the book of Titus, chapter 2, verse 10, it, it means to steal. And Titus uses the word pilfering. Titus uses the word embezzlement. And so who was Ananias stealing from? The apostles? No. But he was taking from God. And he was taking from God's people. It was theirs to keep. He didn't have to lie. Well, look at I sold it for 100 bucks, And my wife and I decided we're going to give, you know, $50 out of that $100. Great. But he was going around, probably prancing around saying, hey, we sold it for this, and we're going to give it all. But they didn't. That's where the hypocrisy sets in. And this is why the Holy Spirit is speaking to Peter. And I'd like to encourage each and every one of us. As the Lord leads and guides and directs, and you make a decision between you and the spouse, do what you have come to the decision with. And it's not necessarily financial. 
I mean, it could be so many different things. You know, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. And in all reality, I've shared this before. If you come to Saving Grace and you're financially strapped and you say, well, you know, I really can't give to God. Well, that's between you and the Lord. But I go back and into the New Testament, I see the widow's mites. They gave of all they had. They gave it to the Lord. I'm under the, the, the belief that if we're believers, we need to give something. And so estimate that between you and your spouse. But if you don't want to give anything, listen to me. If you never give a dime to the Lord, but you've come to saving grace, you're going to go to heaven. You're going to get, I mean, you think God's going to keep you out because you didn't give of your finances? No. It's not about what you do. Listen, it's about what he's done. It's about what he's done in your life. And so here's Ananias and Sapphira. They have conjured this up together. Is it a piece of property? Was it, uh, you know, was it gold? Was it silver? We don't know. But they held back a portion. They misappropriated. Uh, Look at verse 3 now. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan, listen to this, he holds back a portion. Why has Satan filled your heart uh, to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? Ananias, why have you allowed Satan to fill your heart? And you see, church, we're free moral agents. I mean, I can listen to the enemy just as you can listen to the enemy. But what does the Word of God have to say? And I I can honestly tell you, after all the years of ministry, uh, literally, you have the voice here on this shoulder saying, Bob, that's not the right thing to do. And then you have another voice on this shoulder. Yeah, go ahead. Go for all the gusto, you know. And we have a tendency. And which one's going to survive? Listen, the one you feed the most. The one you feed the most. And so what's happening here? You lied to the Holy Spirit, which is God, and you kept back some of the money for yourself. And now I want to kind of take you through Quickly, just kind of little overview in Matthew chapter 15. But you need to study it when you get home. Jesus is dealing uh, with the religious sect. This particular portion of, of the religious sect is the Pharisees and the scribes. They were accusing Jesus of defilement. Accusing Jesus and allowing Jesus uh, to also lead his men, his disciples, in defilement. You see, the disciples did not ceremonially wash their hands before they ate bread. They've been out and about, and so they come in, it's time to eat. But what's the problem here? Jesus said, the problem is the heart. Jesus could see right through the religious sect. And I mean, guys, we've all been out there working We've all been out there, you know, doing some yard, whatever it might be, or changing some oil in the car, working on a tire in the vehicle. I mean, so many things. And then your wife calls you in from, uh, for lunch, and there's a sandwich and, you know, a Coke and some chips or whatever it might be. And then you plop yourself down and sit. That's how guys are. 
you know, oil's dripping and all this. And, and your wife says, you need to wash your hands. Well, what do we generally do? Get up and go take care of business. And hopefully you don't go into the house like that because she's going to feed you outside after that. But these guys were so in tune, right? They're watching everybody. And they noticed that Jesus' men were not ceremonially washing their hands. Very important uh, to the Jewish culture. And also, may I say, to the Jewish written law. And so Jesus is having to deal with these. And so the religious sect, in Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, these people draw near to me, Jesus said, with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. What good is it that you wash your hands ceremoniously? What good is it that you, you know, say your prayers before you eat? What good is it if you act the Christian and do all the Christian jargon? But hypocrisy is in your heart. Look at verse 9. In vain, the word is emptiness, futileness. They worship me, Jesus says, teaching as doctrines and commandments of men. In other words, he's basically chiding them. They taught not of God's word but the rituals, the rites, the customs of man. Now in verse 17, I'm just going to go ahead a little bit. Jesus says, anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. In verse 18, Jesus says, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. And so, is it all about the washing of the hands? Or were the religious sect just trying to, uh, you know, pick again? Because they were constantly attacking Jesus. Years ago, back in our church in Southern California, it has been 30 plus years since I've been there, uh, the excitement of salvation, the excitement of the power of God's Spirit. And, and I mean, we were worshiping the Lord. Well, I, you know, right away I learned, you know, lift your hands to the Lord. Right away I learned, close your eyes. Don't, let, don't look around and just worship the Lord. Well, there was a small doctrine that was kind of creeping into the church, and it happened to me. One of the times I was worshiping the Lord, and after worshiping the Lord, one of the ladies comes up real nice. She goes, Bob, uh, you're worshiping the Lord wrong with your hands. I go, really? I'm new. I don't understand. She's mature. She says, you, you raise your hands like this. So when you do that, the blessings roll off. The blessings roll off. And I go, oh, my God, I'm going to hell, right? <laughs> Bob, turn your hands in, and the blessings roll in. The blessings roll in. You don't know how long that stigma stayed with me. Remember, put the hands up. Remember, don't, don't, don't do it that, don't do it. Whoa. And I'm worried about my hands instead of worshiping the Lord. You see the hypocrisy? You see the hypocrisy? And I mean, honestly, there's times I worship the Lord with my hands extended out. There's times I worship the Lord with my hands up or with the hands out. There's times that I, I might just... Worship the Lord with my hand across my, my heart. 
There's times that I'm kneeling. There's times that I'm standing. There's times that I'm sitting. It's not about the position. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. It's about the heart. Uh, there's an old story. Somebody said, listen, God does not hear you unless you're kneeling. And then somebody told that person, well, I hope you never get stuck in a well because you're not kneeling. You're upside down, in fact. Can't pray, Lord, I'm stuck. Come on, use wisdom. Wisdom of God. And so the problem that was happening here with Ananias and Sapphira was the heart. The problem that was happening with uh, the early church, the religious leaders, they were supposed to be leading the people to God. They were supposed to be teaching God's word. But they began to improvise. They began to add, listen, and they began to take away. What does the word of God have to say? What does the word of God have to say? Look at verse 4 now, back to our text. While it remained, was it not yours, Peter says, and after it, it was sold, was it not your own control? Why have you conceived of this thing in your heart? And I love this, church. You have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. And he's speaking about the Holy Spirit. Listen to the word conceived here in the Greek. You have laid this down in the bed of your heart. That's basically what the word in the Greek means. I love so many times the Greek meaning is so deep. You've conceived this thing. You've laid this, this bed of sin. You've laid this bed of deception right in your heart. We've done it to ourselves. And this was Ananias and Sapphira. But here, in verses 3 and 4, in Acts chapter 5, we read the best part of what I believe the teaching this morning. Peter so beautifully speaks of the Holy Spirit and the life of the church. And he speaks of the Holy Spirit as God. When we speak about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit, we've taught this many times here at the chapel, the Holy Spirit is not a, an essence. Uh, the Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't have time this morning. But there are many scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, where the Spirit of God is exactly that, the Spirit of God. Not a presence, not an essence, not a feeling, not an it. I want you to write these down. In the Old Testament, Psalm 55, verse 11, uh, King David recognized uh, his own sin as the Holy Spirit has spoke to him. And he says to the Holy Spirit, take away, take not thy spirit from me. He's declaring the Holy Spirit to be God. Because only God can take away the spirit in your life. In Psalm 139, verse 1, I love, verse 7, excuse me. Psalm 139, verse 7. Psalm 139. In my old Schofield Bible, I never forgot it. It's the all-seeing eye of God. God sees all, church. God sees all. Uh, in, in 
Psalm 139, verse 7. The declaration, listen, of the omnipresence of the Holy Spirit. Only God has the omnipresence. He's everywhere at once. And now the New Testament, again, just a few uh, passages. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Paul the Apostle writes, The Lord, and that's the word ascribing to Jesus. That's the word ascribing to God. The Lord is the Holy Spirit. And where the Holy Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, there's liberty. He's giving deity uh, to the Holy Spirit. Lastly, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, uh, Paul the Apostle again writes to the church at Ephesus, and he says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, given deity uh, again to the Holy Spirit. And how do I know he's speaking about deity? Because after that verse, he says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. He sealed you on the day of redemption. Only God can save us. Only God can save us. And so Peter, making this emphasis, emphasize that is, the problem, that it's in the heart. It's in the heart. Again, God doesn't need your money, Ananias. God doesn't need your money, Sapphira. But uh, they were wanting, I believe, to look good. Be careful when we try uh, to appease man. Why have you conceived this in your heart? Why have you laid this bed of deception in your own heart, of hypocrisy uh, in your own heart? Uh, look at verse 5 now. Then Ananias, hearing uh, these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. He gave up the ghost. He gave up the ghost. He's dead. He's dead because of what he has conspired in his own heart. The hypocrisy in his own heart. Great fear came upon all the brethren. Why? Because they saw it. Listen to this. Ananias lied, and then he died. He brought it upon himself. What are the others saying? Whoa, I've never seen that. I've never seen that. That was the power of God being established now. It continues. Look at verse 6 now. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Remember the story in Luke chapter 16? The story of the rich man and Lazarus? It tells us that the rich man was buried and he wakes up in hell. The poor man Lazarus was carried by the angels and he was taken to Abraham's bosom. And there he was comforted. It is, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, there is an appointed time for us to die. And then the judgment. We're going to stand before our maker. And so here's Ananias and Sapphira. They had every opportunity, just like you and I. But hypocrisy had entered their heart. Look at verse 7 now. Now it was about three hours later. When his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Now, where is Sapphira? Where has she been? I, I don't know. Maybe she went to the mall. I, you know, I don't know. She's got a little extra cash, right, ladies? 
But it's Sapphira's turn. It's Sapphira's turn. I want you to write this down. Jesus is speaking on the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, verse 3. Matthew chapter 6, verse 3. The New Living Translation. When you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give to the Lord. Give to the Lord. Don't let your right hand, your left hand know. And too many times, you know, maybe... People want to be like Ananias and Sapphira. Maybe they were kind of looking around. Yeah, we sold it all. And when we're giving to God, we're like Barnabas. I don't know what they did. But it's obvious the Holy Spirit told Peter. And Peter says, they're going to carry you out. Now it's Sapphira's turn. What has happened? She had three hours. And she kept that lie alive. I'll catch up with my husband. I'm going to follow suit. Look at verse 8. And Peter answered her, tell me, whether you sold the land for so much? She said, yes, for so much. She outright, blatantly lied to the Holy Spirit. Was this sin so perfectly planned and carried out by both the husband and now the wife? We don't really know the whole story. Either way, God intervenes on both of their behalf. I want you to write down two verses. In the Old Testament, in Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. Moses writes, your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. Don't raise your hands, but we've all been found out at one time or another. I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit always working through my wife. All she has to do is look at me. Okay, let me change the story. We're guilty of that. We're guilty of that. You know, the guys in law enforcement, you know what you're trained to do. You watch body language. And you watch the eyes. And you watch the hands. And, you know, we give ourselves away. And so when I talk to my wife, I go like this. No, I don't. In Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, your sin will find you out. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, it's the principle of sowing and reaping. Whatever we sow in the flesh, we're going to reap corruption. We continue to lie, we're going to reap corruption. This is the story. Of Ananias and Sapphira. Look at verse 9 now. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together, and listen to this, to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. That split second, that split moment, what went through her mind? She's looking around. Maybe now, finally, she's realizing, yeah, where is Ananias? What has happened here? Again, Numbers 32, your, your sins will find you out. Both you and your husband have conspired this thing. 
to test the spirit of the Lord. The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door. They will carry you out. I, I like to think of things and I, I, I could just hear her go, boom. That's it. She hit the ground immediately. I'm thinking of these guys. They carried out Ananias and, and now they're going to carry out the wife. Whoa, they're writing checks. Lord, forgive me. They're tearing up old checks. Do not lie to the Lord. In verse 10, and immediately she fell down. Immediately she fell down at his feet and she breathed her last breath. And the young men came and they found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. There's nothing else left. Exactly what Peter said about your husband has now happened to you. And again, let's go back up to the beginning when we started that exhortation. Husband, wife, don't follow the lie of your spouse when it pertains to God and when it pertains to God's word. Take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Now, I am not perfect and neither are you. My wife and I are not perfect. Neither are you and your spouse. But we want and we try to do the things of what the scriptures say, of what the scriptures say. Years ago, we were traveling to California, and I was going a little bit fast, a little bit faster than normal. And one of my daughters said, Dad, you're going too fast. She's in the back. Oh, what do you know? And I was going too fast. Next thing I know, red lights. Pull over. Now the same daughter, she starts from the back. She goes, Dad, tell him you're a chaplain. Tell him you're a chaplain. We're going, shh, be quiet. Because one of the instructions we get as being a police chaplain, you're not supposed to be showing off that badge, and you're not supposed to be telling people that's what you are. But he heard her. And he says, Chap, how long have you been in, in the ministry? I go, long, long time. Well, you need to slow it down. And he says, you need to listen to your daughter. <laughs> I'll tell you what. We were thanking the Lord because I was going a little bit too fast. And that's all of us. That's all of us. And what do you tell your daughter now? I have to tell her thank you. But you know, God gives us so much. But here's Ananias and Sapphira lying to the Holy Spirit. Immediately, immediately, she fell down. Verse 11, so great fear came upon all the church and upon all those that heard these things. Great fear. Listen to this. Great terror gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had taken place. We mentioned this last week, and I'm going to mention it again. In 2 Corinthians 9-7, So let each one of you give as he prospers in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And again, I'm going to, for those of you that might be visiting and such, uh, here at Calvary Chapel, we don't emphasize, you know, giving. We say a short prayer at the end, and you give accordingly. In our church through the years, God has just blessed our church. And finances are always there. And we're able to do the things that we're called to do. 
but do what God has purposed in your heart. God loves a cheerful giver. It's obvious as we studied the text this morning, Ananias and Sapphira uh, convinced their own hearts what they were doing was right. Were they trying to mimic? Were they trying to copy, you know, Barnabas? We don't know, but the problem was in the heart. The problem was in the heart. We're going to take time now, and we're going to receive communion. And the worship team is going to come back up, and then the ushers are going to come back up here, and then we're going to do the, uh, you start here with with Vern, and then just go back to your seat, and then the rest of you, and go back to your seat, and the rest of you till we get to the back. And hold on to the elements. We're going to receive communion together, but let's all stand. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace and your love and your mercy. Lord, we ask you to bless uh, those that have come this morning uh, to hear from you, Lord. And Lord, speak to us in this area of hypocrisy. It's not always just the financial but so many other things that we can uh, easily be guilty of. So, Lord, help us uh, to understand of the presence of the Lord as he ministers to our hearts and that our hearts would be after his heart. And so, Lord, now, as we prepare for the communion table, examine our hearts, Lord. And so, Father, we give you a worship and praise and adoration, and it's in Jesus' name precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew. Go this way. Or go that way. It doesn't matter. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me because you died and rose again. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be? My King would die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all I do. I honor you. I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. I'm accepted, you were condemned. 
I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again. Amazing love, how can it be? Like you would die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you. It's all I do. I honor you. You are my king. You are my king. Jesus, you are my king. Jesus, you are my king. Amazing love, how can it be? My King would die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you. You know I like you. I honor you, you know I like do. I honor you. Amen. Amen. Uh, when we partake of communion here at the chapel, it's uh, very important to us. We don't do it every month and we don't do it every week. Uh, we wait upon the Lord and uh, see when he moves upon us. And uh, I called the guys up during the week and said, hey, uh, uh, let's have communion this Sunday. Now, communion is very important. Um, you're not to take of communion if you're a non-believer. Uh, I mean, you can eat eat the bread and drink the cup, but if you're a non-believer, it really doesn't mean anything. But we need to be believers in Christ Jesus. And so hopefully as with the music, the worship, the praise, uh, it's a time of self-examination. And if you're not a believer, you're not born again of the Holy Spirit, uh, you need to partake of that in your own comfort of your own seat there and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, come into my life. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And again, you can say it, but it has to come from the heart. And so now as we prepare for the bread and the cup, uh, take some time and think about the dedication you want to give this morning. Uh, who you want to pray for? Is it yourself? Is it you and your spouse? Is it your children? Uh, whatever it might be. And so let us hold the bread up together. A reading out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23, uh, Paul the Apostle brings forth the institution of the Lord's Supper, which is the communion table. Paul says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, Take, eat, uh, this is my body which is broken for you. Uh, do this in remembrance of me. Uh, Lord, as we hold the bread up,
as we hold this portion of cracker. Lord, we are reminded of your body, your body that was broken, your body that was beaten. Lord, all this was for us. And when we partake of the communion table, when we partake of the bread and the cup, we do this in remembrance what took place 2,000 years ago. Lord, we ask you to bless the bread now. And Lord, we pray for the needs of the body of Christ, Lord. Lord, each one of us have those things that are deeply embedded in our hearts. And Lord, we give them to you. We ask you to bless the bread now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake of the bread together. Let us also hold up the cup. He continues, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it. And again, he brings it back in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let us hold uh, the cup together. Father, as we've partaken uh, of the bread, reminding us of the body, and now, Lord, we partake of the cup, reminding us of the precious blood uh, that was shed at Calvary. Lord, you suffered greatly, and every drop of blood was the forgiveness of sins. And Lord, I thank you that we have come to saving grace. We thank you, Lord, that you've extended your love and your grace and your mercy towards us. And while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Lord, bless this cup and remind us of the body that was beaten and the body that bled. In Jesus' name, hear our prayers. Amen. Let's partake of the cup together. Amen. Let us pray for the offerings. Uh, Father, bless the offerings now. As you've given to us, we give back a portion. And we thank you, Lord, for the communion table. In Jesus' name, we pray. Matthew and the team.